Well, as we begin, I'd love to give a big hello to our friends down in Foxborough and East Lexington and Watertown and Wilmington and our uh, friends at Christ Church of Amherst and everyone here across our Lexington venues. And I'd like to give a big shout out to my dog, Howdy, who uh, did a great job in that video there. So way to go, Howdy. If you're watching at home, maybe you are. But uh, among preacher kind of speaker teacher types like me, there's a common saying that says, that we mostly teach what you mostly need to learn. In other words, speakers are most often drawn to talk about topics that they need to hear most. And so today, I'm going to be teaching on a subject that I know a lot about, but I'm far from mastering. I need some time to work on it. It's really a timely message for me in this season of my life. And I'm guessing that if you're anything like me, you know, incredibly awesome, nearly perfect, uncommonly humble, um, (laughs) If you're anything like me, just kidding. If you're anything like me, then I hope this will really connect with you where you are as well. So to begin, let me take you back to the time in my life when I realized that this was a serious spiritual issue for me. About 10 years ago, my wife Erin and I had just moved out to Denver, Colorado. We'd been married for about 10 years. Or sorry, we'd been yeah, married six months at that time. 10 years ago, it was six months. And we moved there to get our graduate degrees. And Erin was going to get her master's degree in mental health counseling. I was going to get a degree in pastoral ministry. And one evening after our class and work was over, we went out for a much needed date. And it was at a great cafe with a perfect views of the stunning Rocky Mountains. And it was the time that we should have just relaxed and have a lot of fun together. But I couldn't find myself being able to relax or have any fun. I was consumed with all these thoughts about the future. I was thinking about what are we going to be doing with our lives? We believe God had put a big call on us, but I was so worried that I was missing out on it somehow. Not only did I have a case of what people call as FOMO, fear of missing out, but I was experiencing what I have now come to call FOMOOG, which is fear of missing out on God and his call. Anybody ever experienced FOMOOG before? Worried that you're missed out on what God is calling you to do? Questions that we started worrying about were like, are we being trained the right way for ministry? How's it going to be possible for us to both get jobs in the same part of uh, the country after we graduate? Were we missing some strategic opportunity right before us? Should there be more that we're doing now than, than we aren't? And all these questions and doubts start to pile up in my conversation with Aaron. And finally, as I stopped to catch my breath, she said these six words to me that I have never forgotten. You can't be where you are. You can't be where you are. I said, what? Aren't counselors supposed to be indirect and start to ask things like, how does that all make you feel? (laughs) And she said back to me, well, you're not my client. You're my husband. (laughs) And you can't be where you are. Well, even that was really, really hard to hear. Aaron was spot on in what she said. It was exactly what I needed because the reality was my fear of missing out on God was the very thing that was keeping me from experiencing God right where I was. Worrying about his future call on my life kept me from being engaged in the present opportunity that was right before me. My fear of missing out was the reason I was already missing out. And my preoccupation with what's next was keeping me from being faithful to God right now. 
So let me ask each of you here today, can you be where you are? Can you be where you are? Well, today we are in part two of our series called Your Place in God's World. And it's a series designed to help us follow the call that God has placed on each and every single one of our lives. It doesn't matter your past, your mistakes, or whether you consider yourself a church person here today or not. None of that changes the fact that you have a calling on your life. And it's from the ultimate caller, God himself. Last week we discovered that in response to this incredible call that God has placed on our lives, we are to respond by living lives worthy of that calling. God's calling in our living should be congruent. What that means is we should be trying to live our lives the way Jesus would live them if he were us. That's what a worthy life is all about. And that's what we described our why or our purpose or vocation in life to be. Now to hone in on this a bit more, we could say that there are really two parts to your why, your why or purpose in life. First, we could say that there is a more general why, a more general why. That's what we talked about last week. It is to live a worthy life. Every single person is called to this purpose. But kind of beyond this more general why is a specific why. It's how you might be able to use your unique gifts and your season of life to follow God. It's what we call around here as your go. And we say find your go. We're looking at the more specific way that God has gifted you. God has blessed you to be a blessing to our world. We heard what Michael Jr., the comedian, what his why was last week. He said his more specific why or go was to inspire people to live out and to find their purpose, to inspire people to live out their purpose. Last week, uh, Pastor Brian, and, and in past times, he shared a little bit more about what his go is. He says his go or specific why is to glorify God by leading as many people as possible into a relationship with Jesus and his church. Now, as much as I wish I could tell you what your specific why would be in a single sermon, I really can't. But over the coming weeks in the series, we want to help you take some next steps so that you can know what your go is as that unfolds to you, as the Spirit helps to teach and lead you. But in the meantime, I'd love for you to be aware of a resource that we're offering that Pastor Dana and some others on staff helped to put together. And it's called our GPS tool. And this GPS tool, it stands here for your gifts, your passions, and your season of life. Gifts, passions, and seasons. Now, what's really interesting about this is that God has gifted every single one of us, and we want to help those gifts be aligned with the passions that God has put on our heart. Passion isn't just about doing what you love, but it's about having a love that's so intense for something or someone that you are willing to suffer and die. That's what passion's all about. And then lastly, this should all try and work out with what season of life you're in. Depending if you're a teenager or, or a retiree, there are different parts and different seasons of life where you can fulfill different aspects of God's calling to you. So one of the ways that you can uh, access this tool is by going to grace.org slash go. And we encourage you to take this self-assessment. 
You have to do that on your own, but we encourage you to find some other people in which you can talk to this about, talk about this with. And we offer our Go course, which is specifically designed to help you figure out this more specific call in your life. And the next Go courses will be kicking back up uh, next month here in February in some of our campuses. And so go to grace.org slash go and sign up for what's a great, great course. But before we can spend more time focusing in on our specific why, which that's a lot of fun to process, there's a critical step that we need to take. Now, if you're feeling a little confused about what is your why or what's that go and what that might be in your life, well, what I believe we're going to talk about today is going to help clear away some of the mystery. It's going to help make this elusive thing a little bit more real and tangible and help you see that your go or your calling might be much closer to you than you think much more obvious even. So today, we're going to take a look at our what's. Our what's. Now, just to kind of be clear, our why is the purpose in which we are to live. It's the reason behind what we do what we do. But our what's are the actual roles that we play in order to fulfill our why. As Michael Jr. in the video last week said that his, some of his what's include being a comedian or speaker or actor. Those what's are the context in which he can fulfill his why, which is to inspire people to live out their purpose. So you have a bunch of what's. It could be as a, as a student. It could be as a player on the team. It could be as a grandparent, a parent. It could be as a relative, a neighbor. All of these sort of what's. These provide the context in which you can live out a worthy life, the life that God's called you to live. And what we're going to see here today is that if we're not being faithful to what God has called us to now, which is to live a worthy life, we might not be able to better apprehend and understand what are our specific goals. So that's where we're going to be headed here today. And there's both good news to this, what I'm going to share with you, and some frustrating news about how we can live this out. And here's what it is. Your calling begins and starts where you are, not where you think you should be. Your calling starts where you are and not where you think you should be. Now, this is good news for this reason, because it means that God's calling for your life might be closer than you realize. You might not actually have to find something different to do, but do what you are already doing a little differently or with a renewed purpose. So your calling might be more within reach than you thought. In fact, you might already be doing what you should be doing, what you're supposed to do. Now, as good of news as that is, there's also a lot more frustrating news that comes with it. Because this is frustrating news because many of us don't want to be where we currently are. Or we don't, or we can't be where we are, like I confessed to earlier. Now, one of the greatest temptations that comes to listening to a sermon series on vocation or calling like this is that nearly all of us start to think that God is probably calling us to do something different or something grander or better than what we're doing right now. Now, God certainly does call people for what might seem to be grand purposes and some rewarding places. But God also calls many more people to more ordinary and less than ideal circumstances as well. And these are really important. 
I once heard it said that everyone wants to revolutionize the world, but nobody wants to do the dishes. But the dishes need to be done in order to help revolutionize the world. And so what we try and do, if we don't like the calling that we feel like we have or the role that we're currently in in life, is that we try and un- uh, to escape these unwanted roles by lusting after perhaps a different calling that we want God to have for us at the expense of being obedient and faithful to the callings that he's already given to us here and now. And that's a dangerous place to be. So now while God might be calling you to something else, you probably won't know what that is. You probably won't know what God is calling you to next if you're not striving to be faithful to what he's called you to now. In other words, you probably won't know that more specific why or go, which is to live a life that's worthy of God's call. You won't know that unless you're being faithful to what he's called you to here and now, because your calling starts where you are, not just where you think you should be. So our question today and my question to myself isn't just, can you be where you are? But my question today is this, and I hope we all take a deep look at thinking about this. Am I striving to live God's calling for me where I am right now in this circumstance? Because to find your place in God's world, you have to be and begin right where you are. So today we're going to look at the book of Ephesians as uh, we'll be going through that our entire series here. And we'll be seeing how people who had a what or a role in life that was far worse than any of the roles that we have in our lives found a way to live out God's calling in their lives and through their lives, even though it was a very unwanted call. And what we're going to see is that God blessed their work and, and the ways that he used them to bless generations after them in some amazing ways. So now this New Testament book of Ephesians was written by a man named Paul. And Paul's why in life was to make disciples out of people who had never heard about Jesus before. Paul was passionate about this and he put his life on the line time and time again to share this good news. Some scholars estimate that Paul would have actually traveled around 10,000 miles by foot to do this. If he had a Fitbit back then, can you imagine how many steps he could have logged? It would have been amazing. But along the way, he ended up getting arrested for sharing the good news of Jesus. And now he finds himself in a situation that he never wanted to be in. And that is as a prisoner. Could you imagine how hard this must have been for Paul, somebody who wanted to live his life on the go, to now be stuck in a very unwanted situation? But while Paul's what changed, his role changed from being a traveling missionary now to being a prisoner, he still found a way to live out his why really faithfully. And he did that by writing letters to individuals and to churches like this one. And these words, these letters changed the world. So let's see what he says to people who found themselves stuck in a situation or a what that they certainly didn't want. And we'll see what that can teach us here today if we might find ourselves in the kind of circumstances that we might not choose for ourselves. So if you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. We'll read the whole little section and then uh, we'll unpack it a little bit more verse by verse. Ephesians 6, starting with verse 5. Slaves, 
Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as you obey Christ. Not only while being watched in order to please them, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. Now, when we read a passage like this, our first thoughts are probably, why isn't Paul just outrightly outlawing slavery? It's wrong. Or why isn't he telling slaves to try and get out of that position? And instead, why is he encouraging them to be really good slaves? Well, in many ways, Paul actually was decrying the evil, this evil facet of Greco-Roman society back then by the counsel that he gave not only to these slaves, but to their masters as well. Here's what he goes on to say in verse 9. And masters, do the same to them. Stop threatening them, for you know that both of you have the same master in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. In other words, Paul is telling those who rule over slaves to treat their slaves the same way that God has treated them. That kind of command was absolutely revolutionary for the day and age. It's the kind of message that's pretty revolutionary for many of the bosses out in our world here today. And they need to hear that. We need to hear that as well. But it should also be noted that slavery in this context was much different from slavery in 19th century America. Nearly one-third of the population back then were slaves. Some would even choose this because of the stability and the economic advancement that it gave the very financially destitute. Some of the more notable differences included that race played absolutely no factor at all in slavery. In fact, many slaves could even be emancipated during their lifetime, and many slaves received specialized work training that helped them later on in life when they were freed. And many freed slaves often became full Roman citizens and would even start to have business relationships with their former masters. But even with all that said, slavery was nonetheless an awful practice in that day and age. Yet even as unwanted as this might have been for those who were enslaved, Paul still charges them to serve their masters in such a way that is worthy of the big calling that they have received from their great God. The work they did probably would have felt very inauthentic to them, probably very beneath them, very unenjoyable. And yet, in Paul's words here, he still reminds them that in an unwanted situation, you can still fulfill God's calling for your life. So, You might be wondering, what does this really have to do with me since I'm fortunate enough, God, God, praise God, not to to be enslaved in any way here today. But what does this talk about slavery have to do with me? Well, I think this is such an important thing because most of us find ourselves bumping into context and work situations and school life and, and sports teams sort of issues where we find corruption, where we find people who are leading selfishly, where we find things that are broken and we find life and work to be very draining, very soul killing. Many of us might find ourselves right now feeling stuck in a role that we never would have chose. 
Maybe you're here in a stage of life that you never expected to be in or you never expected this part of your life to be this hard. And if that's where you find yourself today, then I believe these words can give each of us a lot of hope. Because many of us don't have some of the luxuries that we see others having. We might be kind of enslaved to the schedules that are set for us because we can't pick when we want to work or not work because there are mouths to to feed. There are bills to pay. We have to be responsible. We have to be grown-ups. I mean, that's so lame. Why do we have to do that? But that's part of the responsibility that comes with being alive here in this broken, yet beautiful, yet hard world that we all find ourselves in. So with all that said, even though we might not be slaves, all of us find ourselves in tough situations with imperfect people exercising authority over us at different times. They could be difficult teachers or bosses or coaches or parents or board members or whomever. And the way that slaves were taught to live out their calling then can teach us a lot how we can live worthy lives of what God has called us to do in the tough spots that we might be in. And here's what I want us to catch. If fulfilling Christ's calling was possible in a situation like slavery, then how much more possible could it be for us to do what God would want us to do in our less than ideal circumstances? So to show us how, Paul then highlights three ways that all of us can learn to live out our callings even when our roles or our what's aren't what we want. And here's the first. Paul says, if you're a slave, work as if you are working for Christ. Work as if you're working for Christ. He says, obey your earthly masters as you obey Christ, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but as slaves for Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now, in Paul's mind, the highest priority for anyone in any circumstance is to do the will of God of God. And God's will for us is that we would become conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. And often we think that the circumstances that are best for us to become more and more like him are church services and retreats and prayer groups and small groups. And while those are all really good, the primary place where we can be spiritually transformed It's our everyday workplace, our everyday environment that we find ourselves. Because that environment is tough and it stretches us and it challenges us. And those ways that we're pushed and stretched ultimately give God great space as we allow him to shape us to become more and more like Jesus. So in no way is Paul saying that slaves should try and remain in this enslaved situation, but he is telling them that as long as they are under this structure of authority, they should try to do the will of God, which in this sense means to serve their masters as if they were serving Christ himself. And part of the benefit of that is they're going to be changed to be more loving people like Jesus. So even if your teacher or boss might think that they are God, Don't worry about them. Remember, you serve a God who is far greater. And the Lord tells us we are ultimately to work for him. And remembering that reality is what can help us have the patience and endurance to push through, to faithfully do whatever hard thing God might be calling us to do. So that's the first thing. Secondly, Paul tells uh, these people to work with character or to work with integrity. Character simply means to know what is right and to be able to do what is right. 
from the, the place of having a right heart. Paul instructs them to approach their masters with fear and trembling or with a posture of respect, much like they would any person in authority. He also says to serve with singleness or sincerity of heart. This means that when we approach our work, we don't want to do it with any improper motivations like greed or selfish gain or deceit or uh, any kind of cunning activity. No, Paul tells slaves to serve their masters well regardless of whether they are there or they are absent, to do it all the time. Because how they behave when their masters turn their backs and aren't watching is just as important as when they are present. To illustrate that, let me bring you back to one summer in college where I had a job working for a landscaping company. We had a pretty tough boss, and anytime he would leave the job, most of my fellow coworkers would just drop everything they were doing and take uh, an unallowed break, if you will. Some guys even brought some cheap beers along, would crack those open, which made you feel really safe and comfortable when they're using gas-powered uh, hedge trimmers. Uh, so it was a little, little tough, but when they would take that break, it always put me in a really hard situation because I wanted to work with character and integrity. And so I had this tough dilemma to wrestle with. Do I do what my boss would want me to do, perhaps what God would want me to do, to continue working at the, at the risk of upsetting my colleagues, my coworkers, maybe causing myself to be ostracized by them, maybe even something worse could happen to me uh, by them? Or do I just go with what everybody else is doing just to kind of keep things smoothed over? That's a tough ethical dilemma that I think a lot of us have probably encountered at one time or another. And it seems like as technology continues to evolve in the world, that working morally is becoming more and more difficult. Just by a quick show of hands across your campuses, how many of you have had an ethical dilemma at work where you felt like you wanted to do things the right way, but you felt pinned in a tough position? Have you felt like that before? Many, many people. So while I wish there was like a one answer I could give everybody for how we could live uh, and work in a very moral way, I can't. Every environment is so complex. But here at Grace, we want to be able to help you to wrestle with some of these ethical challenges that happen at work because doing your work with integrity is central to fulfilling your calling, uh, God's calling on your life. So I'm really excited that in the next few months, we'll be offering three kind of weekend courses as we partner with Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary to offer a course on workplace ethics. It will take place on a Friday night and part of the day Saturday. It's a small audit fee. And what's great about auditing, you can come to as much or as little as you like, and you still pass because you're not getting graded. And, uh, and so we'll be offering this, and you can find out some more about this great class, which will help you wrestle with a lot of the challenges that you might be experiencing in your workplace. Uh, and you can go to grace.org slash faith and work to find out more about that. Because working ethically and with integrity is central to fulfilling God's calling on your life. And then finally, Paul says that they should, and this is a little bit more implicit in the text, he tells them that they should work competently, to work with, with competency. Paul says to render service with enthusiasm. This means to not only work with a really good attitude, but to do really good work. 
Work well done is almost always the overflow of having the right attitude and approach at work. And the way to have the right attitude and approach at work is to remember that we're ultimately working for God and not for any other human being. And when we approach our work in this way, all work that is not immoral or unjust, all good work is sacred work. It's a holy work and task. Your Monday through Saturday That's holy work that you have before you. And all work well done gives great glory to God and it blesses your neighbor. This weekend, I'm so glad that we can remember the life and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I love some of these words that he talks about and shares when it comes to working competently with whatever we do. Here's what Dr. King says. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted paintings or Beethoven composed music or as Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great sweet street, a street sweeper who did his job well. I got that right the first service. I was nervous about that the entire time because not only do you, is it, as a preacher, do you get a little jealous when you're quoting Martin Luther King Jr. because he had some mad preaching chops, but you don't want to mess him up, and I just did. So thank you for your grace. But with all that said, don't you just love what his words right here? I think they're beautiful. They show the power and the potential behind any of our ordinary work and the impact that it can make. I mean, don't you just appreciate it when someone does their work really well, especially like customer service agents? It blesses us in some really powerful ways. And just as that good work can bless us, well, when we do our work really well, it can bless others in a big way. And that's where God's God's calling for all of us begins. And I'm not just talking about the jobs you get paid for, but every single aspect of your work as a student, as a parent, as a friend, as a relative, as a neighbor. And as we work as if we are serving the Lord and not other people and work with character and competency, we can receive this promise from the Lord here in verse 8 says this, knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. See, Paul wants Christian slaves to know that our good works are noticed by the one master who cares and that they will be rewarded for their efforts, even if they can't see it here in this life. And the same is true for every single one of us. Your efforts, which might often be overlooked or underappreciated by others, are seen and deeply valued by God. Now, I don't want to gloss over the fact that what Paul has said here is very tough to do. In fact, our own efforts alone will never be enough for us to serve and to work in this way. We can't fulfill our what's by our own strength. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, who is the ultimate suffering servant, our slave, can help us to accomplish his purposes in and through us, no matter how hard or how unwanted your role in life might be. And I love how Philippians 2 captures this. It says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard regard equality with God, something to be grasped or exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because Jesus knew his calling, He was able to faithfully do something that he didn't want to do 
something that was beneath him, all for God's greater glory and our greater good. And because he did slave-like work for us, he can then empower us as we look to him to faithfully fulfill whatever what that we have to encounter and face now. So let me ask you, have you asked Jesus to come alongside you and help you do whatever your what is? Because Jesus wants to join you with that work because that work is ultimately his work. So as we wrap up, I want to make this a little bit more personal here for us. If you have a pen or a paper or if you have a notes app on your phone, take it out right now if you would. Every single person, take it out. And what I want you to do is to write down what we're going to call our faithful list. Our faithful list. And the things that you can put down on your faithfulness list include what are some of the roles that you have right now in your life? It could be on a team. It could be in the, in the classroom. It could be uh, at home. It could be in the neighborhood. It could be in the overall community that you find yourself. What are the areas of responsibility that God has given you? What are the roles that only you can fulfill? No one else can do them but you as it relates especially to relationships. Make a list of these things. I'm going to start my list and you can start doing your list along with me. And here are some of mine. First, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I have the responsibility to be following Jesus and to try and do what he said, to be a member of his church and to follow him. It's the highest calling of my life. I'm called and have the, the responsibility to be a faithful husband, a husband who can be where he is. And I'm better than that than I was 10 years ago, most of the time. Um, I'm called to be a father, and that is a big part of the season of my life right now, is to change a lot of diapers. That's okay. Um, other parts of my roles, I'm a pastor, and I wear a lot of hats around here at Grace. There's many different facets to, to that kind of work. I'm also a neighbor. I'm a friend. I'm a relative. I'm a citizen of, of our town and of our commonwealth and of our entire world. And there's responsibilities with that. And I could probably tease out a few more, including I'm responsible for myself to care for my soul, my mind, my body. That's something only I can really do with God's help. So as you think about this list, what I find really helpful about it is that when one of these kind of roles or what's in my life aren't going well, I can still fulfill the greater why that God has given me. And one of these other areas, because often when one thing isn't going well in life, it feels like everything else just kind of comes to a screeching halt. But what's so great about the calling that God has given us is that our calling goes beyond just your job. Your calling just goes beyond your spot uh, in the orchestra or the team or whatever uh, group you're involved with. Your calling goes beyond what you do. Your calling goes beyond what other people think of you. Your calling is a gift from God that you are his son and daughter and that you can follow him no matter what kind of situation you find yourself in. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be very hopeful, reassuring news. And the reality is, there is a way for you to live out your go no matter what your what's currently are. So let me ask you this. How might you be faithful to what God has called you to do now? 
I hope this week you will maybe take some time to look at this faithful list and ask yourself, how faithful am I being in the different roles that maybe God has given me? Maybe as an aunt or uncle or as a grandparent or as a, as a sibling, maybe as in, in my workplace. How faithful am I being in all these areas? And, and here's what I believe. The more we are faithful to these what's that God has given us, the more he's going to help us know what our specific why is. I believe he'll help us understand that where these three things overlap, our gifts, our passions, and our seasons, that we will find our go, the sweet spot that God has given us. And as we live out our what's with the why uh, purpose behind it, we're going to be able to better discover how God has uniquely made us to fulfill his purposes for our lives. And I think there's something really great, friends, when this happens. It happened back in Paul's day, and I believe it can happen in our day as well. See, following Paul's life, Greco-Roman slavery ended up becoming nearly all but abolished in the decades and the centuries to follow uh, after Paul wrote these words. Some scholars help to attribute that the death of slavery in this era was the result of the fact that many slaves and masters faithfully fulfilled Paul's teaching in this letter. Because it's almost impossible for something as evil as slavery to survive in the atmosphere of love that results when we follow faithfully God's calling to each of us. And if that was possible then, then how much more might that be possible here and now? If we all join together in committing to doing and fulfilling God's purposes for where we are, what would our world be like generations from now if we faithfully lived out the what's before us now? So to try and sum up all that we said, let me put it this way. Following the call means being faithful to what God has called you to today because your calling begins where you are and not where you think you should be. So can you be where you are? Well, the key to being where you are is to remember how significant God's call is for you right now. No matter what your job is, no matter what life stage you're in, no matter what. And the way to discover your place in God's world is to begin by being faithful where you are today. So as we close in prayer, let me pray this prayer over you for whatever your what might be over this next week, because it plays a big part in God's work in this world. Let's pray. God of heaven and earth, we pray for your kingdom to come for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Teach us to see our vocations and occupations as woven into your work in the world this week. For mothers at home who care for children, for those whose labor forms our common life in this city, in the nation, and in the world, for those who serve the marketplace of ideas and commerce, for those whose creative gifts nourish us all, for those whose callings take them into the academy, for those who long for employment that satisfies their souls and serves you. For each one we pray, asking for your great mercy and blessing, O oh Lord. Give us eyes to see that our work is holy to you, even as our worship this day is holy to you. And we ask this all in the strong name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And everyone prayed together. Amen. Amen.